0: This is Limitless Possibility. I'm Yannick Maya,
1: And I'm Lucas livids
0: Happy New Year to our listeners. And this week's topic is...
1: The future of native desktop apps with marzipan.
0: Oh dear God. I should have gotten the whiskey out tonight. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But first, I heard you have some follow-up.
1: I do. I have a lot this week, so let's get started on episode 100, which was uh, titled "Aberration of Value." Uh, we discussed our favorite Apple products, and one of the Mac we mentioned is the beloved 12-inch Power Mac G4. Powerbook and just, G4. Powerbook, yes. I I don't know why I read Power Mac in my notes, but yes, Powerbook G4. Um. So to start the new year, and also to start the new year myself, I fucked up the name, but to start the new year, our good friend of the show, Stephen Ackett of 512pixel, did a great historical review of this device on his YouTube channel, which I would strongly suggest our listener to go watch, and I'll put a link in the show notes
0: and an interesting note about that video is that the power book that's used in that video actually belongs to one of the co-hosts of simple beep which is an excellent retro mac podcast you should be listening to if you're into that kind of stuff
1: oh really i didn't know it i thought it was his because he has so much old mac ad- hardware that i assume it was from his personal collection they
0: changed hands recently uh they tweeted about it earlier this week
1: oh yo yo yeah something another mac in his uh Big, uh, I guess, Mac device all of fame that he has in his uh, studio that he, you can you might be able to see in a lot of his YouTube video. So strongly recommended to watch uh his historical review of that PowerBook G4 device. Uh, in episode one or two, which was two episodes ago, Yannick mentioned that he was using his Apple Watch Series Zero box as a way to store the uh, apple watch bands and i kind of entered that i would try to do the same and sadly enough i didn't have time to try it because for christmas i got a nice jewelry box especially made for apple uh, for watch bands I, and yes it is looking at my notes here it is not apple watch specific it, it is just a a Jewelry box for uh watch bands in general. Uh, that was a gift from Tony, so I'll put a link into the show notes because it is a 12 slot. And I realized that I have uh, more or less, if we include Tony and I rocking each uh, our a band as a daily driver, we have 11 bands plus oh, wow. two daily divers. So this box is already nearly full, nice. <laughs> which is quite funny, but I like it a lot. It has a nice window on top and if you click on the Amazon link in the show notes, you'll see what I'm saying. It is a nice black box which uh, you can see the bands and you can lay them in a kind of oval-ish fashion. There's a small cushion in each slot where you can... uh, this i'll try to you also maybe put a show note uh put in the show notes a picture of what i've done with them but uh it's funny because uh it kind of triggered some of my ocd making sure that the sport bands all line up maybe for from dark colors to lighter colors also the nylon bands goes in that section so it was quite funny uh, but i really like it and it is way better than my Ziploc bag solution that i mentioned <laughs> in this episode where we reviewed the apple watch series 4 Last follow up I have which is related to last episode two items I completely forgot to mention. So Yannick in episode 103 uh, mentioned that we uh, that uh, he asked our listener to talk about their favorite game they played during 2018 and friend of the show Richard Whitaker mentioned Tetris Effect. And I would like you to know that if you're a big Tetris fan I strongly suggest that you go watch Digital Friendly another friend of the show they have a two month old tetris review which culminated with tetris effect it is a 50 minute video about all not all but it's kind of a conclusive like let's review quote-unquote all tetris games that has been uh designed and developed in the last like 40 50 years the highlights anyway yeah it is an highlight uh and it is It is funny because I think they released a a first edition of the video which was around 40 minutes and the the, the pull, Pull It Offline added even more gameplay of different other games and make this video to 15 minutes. So if you're a big Tetris fan and also in general a big digital friendly fan I strongly suggest, or you might have already seen this video but I strongly suggest that you go watch their Tetris review that committed with Tetris Effect.
0: What's actually very interesting about that video is the reason why they had to pull it down in the first place. Uh, Arika, the developer of Tetris Grandmaster, has some crazy shit going on um, where they are very, very strict about how you can use their games and videos. You're not allowed to make videos of pirated versions of uh, TGM. You're not allowed to make videos of emulated versions of TGM. You're not allowed to make videos of games that have similar gameplay to TGM Like, there's all these rules. Uh, They say you have to have a copyright warning in your YouTube description and a specific hashtag on every social media platform that is supported. They're like 10 times worse than Nintendo was when they were being (laughs) bad about social networking. And one of the things that came out the week that video went up was that starting the first week of the year, uh, Arika and the Tetris company would send not uh, content ID strikes, but like literally DMCA copyright infringement strikes to the f- channels that Ooh. did not respect these things and if you are a big content producer if you get three of those strikes you get your channel deleted permanently uh so people were not fucking around with those restrictions uh and it's, it's just very strange that like john uploaded that video to digital foundry literally the week it was happening and he didn't seem to be aware that it was happening uh, but to people who follow the tgm and arcade scene we were very aware of it because it's a big deal and it feels very abusive but if they have the power to do it, they're going to use it. So whatever. So very strange uh, situation there, but it did actually mean that uh, they could update the video with actual footage from real arcade boards because John was playing on an emulated version, the bad boy, uh, and also had a couple other games in the process.
1: Hmm, and that explains why you mentioned that quite clearly in the video where this is running on real hardware. I, I recall that you mentioned that like multiple times and kind of make it a big deal, but didn't understand why it was making a big deal out of it it's because you I kind have of, to <laughs> yes i kind of assumed it was kind of a feat to get a video out of an arcade boat a board uh and to stream it on youtube i i assume that was the issue there but if it's to make it a big deal for the game publisher that's a bit shitty
0: tgm uh, is a legendary game in the Tetris scene and i will also include a, a link to uh the Tetris Grandmaster Showcase, which they did a couple years ago at Games Done Quick, which, by the way, is starting again this week, I believe. Uh, and they go into detail as to how insane this game is. Uh, and it's by friend of the show, Kevin DDR, and a lot of people who overlap between the music game community and the just general arcade community. Uh, so that is a good watch if you are interested in that kind of stuff.
1: Okay, last item I add that is still related to episode 103 where we review our game of the years this is another f- a mention I forgot to do. So, in my honorable mention, I discussed about strategy game on iOS and mobile. But I forgot to mention a game and I realized why. It was kind of not in my show notes but in my mind that I should mention it because it was a game that... uh made me addicted in the past few weeks especially it's say november and december um, and the reason why i forgot to include it it is because it's not a strategy game but it is still well worth mentioning this game is called conduct this and it is a train puzzle game where you need to conduct a multiple trains inside of a puzzle that is a railway based and you need to deliver x amount of passengers in an amount of time and depending uh what how many time is remaining on the clock you either get three two or one star three ta- stars being the best and the reason why i discovered it is their developer and producer yes it is self-produced and self develop uh north play which is a uh, Denmark? Is recall correctly is a small Denmark kind of indie game office, plus also an iOS consulting th- consulting place. Uh, released this game on the Switch uh, in early December, so a bit before I think end of November when they start to propagate the knowledge and the information that conductors were uh, coming to the Switch. Uh, the main reason why they were raving about it uh, on Twitter, mainly where I see it, is because they also changed the name. It's called Conduct Together on the Switch, but it's more or less the same game. Uh, You can also find this game as Conduct Deluxe on the Steam Play Store, where you can find uh, you can play on the PC and I think on the Mac, but I'm sure about the PC. And it is an amazing game uh, that you can find on uh, iOS and Android where, uh, if you like puzzle-solving games plus trains i would strongly suggest that you download it also um if you like the first game conduct this north play released fly this uh in early december which is the sequel to this game and as its name suggests it is airplane based with the same uh i haven't played it yet but it's kind of with the same strategy of the puzzling it's you need to move passenger from one airport to the other but it seems to have added more uh, strategy element based on the fact that it is now planes and not trains so another a great ios game that i've been enjoying in the last year that i strongly suggest that you should look into uh
0: so i guess i, I should tag along with um the follow up with regards to our games of the year. Uh, I mentioned, of course, that my game of the year was Dragon Ball Fighters. And funnily enough, uh, there was some drama surrounding uh, Dragon Ball Fighters in the week immediately after we recorded the episode, <laughs> uh, which is that Toei, which owns the license for uh, the Dragon Ball anime and manga and the characters and all that stuff, have decided to refuse the rights to any competitive tournaments playing Dragon Ball Fighters in 2019. This includes the biggest Ooh. ones. Uh, so last year, Dragon Ball Fighters was the biggest game at EVO, which is like the fighting game Super Bowl every year. Uh, and this year, they won't be able to do it at EVO because they just said no thanks. Uh, so very strange. Um, this actually ended up in a couple tournaments like pulling Dragon Ball Fighters at the very last second, which meant that players had booked tickets to go there that they couldn't cancel and then they were just showing up and not being able to play in a tournament which feels really bad if your job is to play at fighting game tournaments uh so lots of crazy drama surrounding uh dbfz uh and i will be keeping up on it but right now it just seems like there is not going to be a competitive circuit for dragon ball fighters in 2019 which sucks because people love this game and loved watching this game and now suddenly having it disappear is batch it crazy uh and unexpected to say the least uh so a lot of people have who were like big players in the scene have just dropped and are now looking for a game that is not randomly just going to fall off the face of the earth in 2019 which mm. kind of sucks because if you were good at that game there's not really any comparable other game right now on the market uh, but there you go. Uh, also notable I did mention that uh, Dragon Ball Fighters did spawn other uh, more accessible fighting games and one of them was Blaze Blue Cross Tag Battle which I got for Christmas and I have been playing a little bit of but haven't quite had the time to get fully in there yet so looking forward to playing more of that throughout the year. Next up I want to talk about the curse that uh this show has which is every time we talk about <laughs> a noise reduction application on this show it stops working the next episode Uh, so Bruce Free, which was the amazing noise reduction app that we mentioned on iOS a couple episodes ago, uh, it stopped working completely. Like you open a file from iCloud Drive and then it no longer ever launches ever again, which is a problem. Uh, So I still think that if you can get it to work, it's a very recommended app because the results were great. However, it doesn't work reliably. And I am hoping that an update makes it work again because right now I can't, do the noise reduction locally on my device anymore, which kind of sucks. So I have to pre-process all the files on my Mac and then transfer them over to the iPad, which kind of sucks. So we're sorry to inform you of this, and we will be keeping an eye on if it ever gets fixed. But for the moment, we are splitting the editing process between pre-processing on the Mac and then doing the actual editing on the iPad. But I did actually take the iPad out to Starbucks for our last episode and did it entirely over there on the iPad, and it was great. Last but not least, a lot of Alexa follow-up. So, first of all, this I didn't even know until yesterday when I heard it on the radio, which is that Alexa has soft-launched in French-Canadian mode.
1: Ooh!
0: Yep, so uh, I was in my brother's car. We were driving back from my grandma's place, and uh, Radio Energy had an ad saying, now available on Alexa. I was like, what the fuck is this? The French-Canadian support didn't even launch. And then I opened the Alexa app, and there it was. So apparently, (laughs) when we were looking, French-Canadian Alexa launched. uh, So that is good. I know that that was one of the things you were looking forward to uh, on the Echo. And it appears to have launched. Yes, you can tell your story. I laughed so much at it.
1: (laughs) Yes, I have a small... Sad story, but funny story at the same time. So, um, during the Christmas break, Tony, at the, after a couple of days after Christmas, he's just like, Oh, is it a couple of days before Christmas? I, I forgot, but more or less at one day, Tony arrives he's like, Hey, what do you think about the Amazon Echo? I'm like, eh, It's not that great. Like French Canadian support hasn't shipped yet. And Yannick tells me that Apple, the Apple music support is not in Canada yet. It still isn't here, by the way. Yeah. So I'm like, you know what? I was, waiting for the french canadian support which i know is coming but i don't want to buy hardware before it's launched like i'm waiting on software update i don't want to get burned blah 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 so i'm like i may be tempted once it's there but for now it is not for me so long story short i received what i was discussing about the uh, watch uh, band display storage box and it tells me this story so he asked somebody at work to order me the new Amazon Echo, the dot, yes, the Echo Dot third generation. And then when we had the discussion, he was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> so he ended up returning it. So I asked his colleague to cancel everything, but it was too late. So they returned everything. At least it was not too bad, but he was like, yeah, since he told me it was bad, I kind of more or less returned it. So I kind of, A, felt bad, but uh made me quite laugh at the same time he, he didn't take it bad either too he kind of knows like he, he really told me "It's like if you think it's bad like I trust you it's bad and uh, that's why I returned it I'm like it's not as bad it's just that And I don't want to buy something that I won't use now because I'm waiting for a feature that might never happen the same way that I don't think you're still waiting for it but you were quite excited about IFTTT on the Echo yeah I've given up so, on that <laughs> yes Since it's never been added to the uh, English Canada locale, like, yeah, you kind of gave up. And you know what? Even if it's quite cheap, they were like 40 Canadian dollars during the other day. Yeah. It's not a price thing. It's really like, if I know, I won't use it because, yes, I pay for Prime, but like most of my music or most of my like playlists are in Apple Music.
0: And Prime Music got way worse this year, by the way. So. (laughs)
1: oh really yeah oh when
0: they launched uh music unlimited oh this is one thing i did mention on the show so i thought for a while that prime music got better that's not true i was in the free trial of music unlimited that i didn't know i was part of (laughs) when i said those things and then when the music unlimited trial stopped prime music was significantly worse because they moved it all into music unlimited so that Mm. sucks
1: okay that explains why so i'm already paying for music service and i've spent years playing for both spotify and apple music and stopped that so i don't want to go and repeat that same mistake of playing for two uh stream music streaming services considering that i'm not a big music listener i do listen to music quite frequently but not enough that i would pay for two services if you see what i mean so that's what happened it was kind of a, a funny like it's not i would not say it's a lesson for tony but at the same time it's kind of a funny moment where like he tried to buy something for some of your tech nerds friends and family or partners and it kind of backfires so yeah. it was felt make me feel bad a bit but at the same time like like tony was saying is like if you don't like it like it's better for me to just return it and buy you something like this box uh, for your bands that you love so i'm like yes that's a good point so funny story of christmas gifts
0: Before I move on to the rest of my Alexa follow-up, I do have a note about Apple Music, which is what's actually very interesting about Apple Music, if it ever comes to Canada, is that it would be the only way right now to actually listen to music that you physically own, like on CD only, or have ripped yourself on the Amazon Echo in Canada, because we don't have the Amazon Music Locker, which is only available in the US, and that's how you can get random MP3s on your Echo in the US. We don't have Mm. that, and Spotify doesn't do that, Uh, and uh, the rest of the services are kind of radio stuff more than actual streaming services. So I'm excited for the potential reality that maybe someday I can listen to like game soundtracks and stuff on the Echo without too much trouble, and maybe that can get me to buy Apple Music, which is fucking crazy. I didn't think that was going to happen this year, but maybe.
1: Oh, you're still not paying for Apple Music?
0: No, I ruined all my tags. Why would I pay to have my tags ruined? (laughs) (laughs)
1: Okay, fair point
0: Uh, Okay, so moving on uh, I got some Philips hue bulbs for Christmas From my boss I got one ambience and one color uh, and this led me to go configure a bunch of routines in the Alexa app and discovered that there are new features, uh, which I was very excited for. So the first thing is I no longer need to have the my blank playlist with that 30-second song of silence by uh, the Ooh. Bloodhound Gang because there is now a stop audio command. Finally, all I ever wanted. <laughs> so now my recommendations can stop being ruined by Bloodhound Gang songs. And uh, I can just stop audio, which is great. Another thing is that routines previously used to be bound to a specific device. So what that meant is uh, it doesn't really matter, to be honest, for most things. But uh, you would say, oh, this routine is going to execute on this particular echo in my house when I run it. And if that echo happens to be offline for some reason, that routine would just never execute. Uh, Routines now exist in the cloud as some disconnected thing and if a particular action needs to execute on a specific device you specify it on that action but not on the routine as a whole which is good however i have noticed that this has introduced some weird bugs where routines don't actually become available on all devices immediately it takes a little longer to sync and i'm not too sure why Um, another thing is that music can now be set on a sleep timer so you can say when i invoke this routine, play music for 30 minutes and then stop, which is not something you could do before, which is really nice. Uh you can add wait operations to routines so you can say do this, wait 30 minutes and then do this and wait 30 minutes and do this. So you can like hack around some of the limitations this way, although it's i haven't found a real use for it yet. And of course, uh I got all excited and I configured some new routines for my watches uh, for my watches, for my uh, light bulbs. So two that I would greatly recommend, especially if you have uh, smart bulbs in your kitchen, uh, is high visibility and idle lighting. So high visibility is max brightness with the coolest uh, temperature. So you just like see very, very well. It's very clear. I usually use this while I'm cooking. And then if I want a more relaxed, dimmer look, I have the idle lighting, which is just like relaxing and eating and not having to focus so much on being able to see what I'm doing. Uh, so I've been having a lot of fun with that. And I got uh, the color light bulb, which I use on my bedside. Uh, so now I have like this crimson uh, routine, which just like dims all of the lights on the house, except for my bedside one, which makes it the beautiful vivid pink uh, on the Philips Hue bulb, which I absolutely love. Uh and yeah I've ha- I've been having a great time with these bulbs. You don't need to go crazy and have like 17 billion routines to actually enjoy these bulbs. You can just have like a nice subset of like 3 or 4 that you use r- regularly and it actually is pretty nice. So that is it for my follow up. We can finally stop the follow up and go talk about <laughs> the actual topic.
1: Yeah, we started the year with a lot of follow up, but that's good. Uh now we're we'll have a bigger topic. Oh god. Yes. So, um, like I said in the opening, tonight's topic will be the future of native desktop apps with Marzipan. So, um, since its quote-unquote unofficial release, uh, Marzipan has triggered a lot of heated discussion amongst uh, Apple nerds. So, uh, tonight, Yannick and I will discuss our opinion about it and what we would expect from a a technology like this. Uh, once it gets released, uh, op- hopefully uh, with the next OS release, like Apple kind of intend. But before we move into that, I would like to kind of discuss what is exactly Marzipan by itself. So if you recall correctly, uh, in Moave, Apple announced four new apps. It announced that news, voice memo, stock and the home apps were coming from iOS to the Mac. It's like back to the Mac again. Uh, like with 10.7. Uh, yep, Scott was the team Forstall's 107? beloved
0: yes. calendar.
1: So they kind of announced the app and said it's more or less the same apps that you have on the iPad. And also those uh, some of those apps were missing from uh, the iPad and they were only phone only, so uh, only iPhone only. And with iOS 12 and macOS Moave, they kind of went everywhere. And let's say like this when it was announced by Apple uh, at WWDC. And then after like, oh my God, wait there's something magic about those apps. Those apps are the original iOS code base, not ported to the Mac using AppKit, but using this technology that they nicknamed Sneak Peek uh, in the WDC Keynote, but it is using the iOS UIKit base code base running on the Mac. So the goal of Marzipan, more or less, is to say that you can have one code base using more or less one UI framework to have apps on both the Mac, iOS, tvOS, quote-unquote, and watchOS. It would be like using the same general code base, of course, depending on which uh, tvOS and watchOS you might have to use different UI frameworks, but they are more or less based on UIKit. And that was kind of the goal uh, mentioned by Apple, is to make like one app run everywhere without merging both OSs. Which, if you take their word at it, seems like a, a quite interesting goal, knowing the fact that most developers these days are working on iOS. So after announcing this, uh, All the Apple nerds were like up and about, like saying, Oh, what does it mean about the Mac? What does it mean about iOS? And the reason why I want to tackle this topic now is uh, I feel that since the release of Mojave, if you follow Apple nerds on the internet, every month there's a big kerfuffle, a big heated discussion about it on your Twitter, on other podcasts. And there's a lot of different opinions and discussion. And also because it feels to me that the fact that Apple is bringing some, some product or some technology that could be considered cross-platform, it is bring a lot of divergence between like Mac apps, Mac users, iOS only users. What what does the iPad means as a f- in the future for a competing platform device, uh, competing devices, and a competing platform, and Funnily enough, Marzipan is kind of mixing all of those topics together, which is why it makes it already interesting in early 2019 and with it not even really officially released to developers. As far as, far as I recall, uh Marzipan, you, if you have an iOS app, you could quite easily modify uh the current Moave install that you have and all the current Xcode install that you have um to Make your app on iOS run on macOS to access uh, this uh, Marzipan framework, which is not really a framework, but access the what they call the iOS iOS Mac platform of oh UIKit God. and compile uh, your app on compile the app to make it compatible for this and run on the Mac. So in theory, if you want to have fun on a Friday on a weekend to hack around and make sure that you start to be compatible-ish, you can start doing that now and see how you can maybe evolve or refactor some of your UI logic to add bigger screens. It doesn't mean that you're uh, adopting more desktop like paradigms, but at least you're making sure that your UI code is uh, flexible enough, flexible in bigger dimension than the size classes that we currently support. On iOS for different iPad and iPhone screen sizes. So that's kind of the, the the kind of the history slash what is Marzipan. Right now, I want to go to the heated subject and I want to discuss why is it an edited subject with a lot of people. And the first thing we can discuss, and I think Yannick and I discussed that a lot in past episodes where we were talking about cross-platform technologies. It feels to me that every time we talk about cross-platform technologies, there's always this web versus native discussion. And it feels to me that now with Marzipan, we're adding kind of a third dimension, which is what does it exactly mean to be native on a platform? Because now we will be, in theory, would have a technology that is native to the Apple platforms, but was not really natively designed to be on the Mac. And the best example we can see right now is those four apps. Because if you were to uh, look at a traditional Mac app, so we assume that a traditional Mac app or what we consider a native Mac app, uh, it would properly uh, expose action into its menu bar, for example. And it would make sure that when you do command, comma you would trigger the pre- the preference panel and I'm just giving you a small example. Uh, if you look right now at some of those apps, uh, some of those typical Mac paradigms are broken on those apps and that's where they look like, a, they might not look like Mac app they might feel kind of Mac app but in the end they're not what people might consider good Mac apps. And I would like to start by defining what is a good Mac app because if we don't define this first, it is hard to evaluate this technology right now and say, oh, they're not real Mac apps, they're just like some port, which they are, yes. But it would be hard right now to evaluate what we have and what we should have in the future as Mac users to make sure that we have we can take advantage of what's happening on iOS.
0: It's funny because the way this whole like Marzipan is a huge topic that was being discussed over the holiday break, right? Uh, mm-hmm. and to the point that I was just like fed up seeing it and I, was, I wanted to drink every time I saw it on my timeline because it was And then like, I told
1: you our first episode of the year is going to be about Marzipan. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, and I, I was also preparing an episode on this topic so I have some notes uh, to look at but the thing is like this all really started with the talk show with Jason Snell uh, right around Christmas. I think it was the 24th when it was posted uh, called Fort Jason Sudeikis. And he basically was having an existential crisis live on the air about the future of the Mac, what Marzipan apps mean for the future of the Mac. Basically, like all the topics we're going to be talking about today. And I think at the core of his argument is a mistake. Um, So... Gruber spent a lot of time talking about, like, in the mid 90s, what really defined the Mac compared to a platform like Windows was a strong consistency and uniformity in user interface paradigm, where you could very easily look at an application and tell which were ported from Windows and which were designed with the Mac's conventions in mind. And the thing, the argument he laid out then was. People chose the Mac because they like the Mac's conventions, and therefore any application that doesn't actually abide by those conventions is doing a Mac user a disservice, and the Mac user will reject those applications because they're not good enough to be on the Mac. Um, and this was a really tough thing to do in the late 90s when like, the Mac was on the... Verge of disappearing potentially when you were telling big companies like Microsoft or Adobe to fuck off for their bad applications that you don't want anything to do with them because you want to use Mac native apps. And then Adobe and Microsoft are going to be like staring at you and saying, well, you're just not going to have the software then or if there is like significant pressure on them, like they will Fix their apps, like that's what happened with Word and a couple of other Office apps in the mid '90s, which is something that Gruber brings up a lot. And I don't really want to summarize the entire episode, but I just know it if you hasn't heard the episode, so I just want to yes, kind of give him some that's... context.
1: Which uh, the context again, I'm not surprised what you're saying, and like I think the context could be derived from the from the whole discussion that has happened during the holiday season on Twitter, and that's the reason why it felt to me that there's kind of two camps and that's why i think we should define what is a good mac app because it feels to me that this is the contingent point is some people believe that i I feel that there's two camps there's the people that believes what has been a mac uh, what is a good mac app for the last like 15 years and i feel that people like john gruber and jason sell feels in that camp like they are able to tell you i can give you an example like first of all if the menu bar is kind of the with the default values that when you open an interface builder and it's like a file edit and all of the options are disabled you kind of know that this was not well thought of and just well designed or like all the menus are gone like there's no edit no window no help just like the name of the app and then there's the quit option inside the name of the app menu
0: but there's there's a flip side to that coin which is not necessarily, like, the polar the polarity of what is an app that's Mac-like, but there's also the thing, like, what are iOS apps supposed to be? Because that's, like, the other thing. If iOS apps are coming to the Mac, you also have to define what iOS apps are supposed to be. And, like, that's the issue, is I think there's no real agreement on what makes an app iOS-like, and there's no real agreement on what makes the Mac apps Mac-like. And now you have, like, these two weird melting pots of people who are arguing about what their native applications are supposed to be and now like you're compositing both of those arguments together into one argument where now just like everybody wants something different and they're not going to get it.
1: And don't forget to paper about a little bit of oh I'm an iPad user only now because I run my business on it plus uh, what happens with ARM Macs that might come like a lot of what's happening with current Apple vampires are kind of like papered on top of that topic and people are making a lot of assumption with what this means, which is fair to do, right? It it, it might be, and that I think personally is one of my biggest opinion about Marzipan is, to me, Marzipan might feel like one of the biggest transition will live on the Mac compared to what Carbon to cocoa was in the late 90s to early 2000s
0: this is the thing is my issue with the whole Marzipan discussion now is more meta. It doesn't actually have to do with Marzipan itself because Marzipan itself still has time in the oven left before they actually present it to us as a thing that developers can actually do anything about. Like we know what they have now. And I have some harsh critiques of what they have right now, because I have used some of the apps that are powered by Marzipan and it's not great. Um, but they didn't say they were shipping that. They were just showing a sneak peek of what that potentially could be. So I think like it's too early to critique Marzipan itself. Where I have a bigger issue is the commentators that are talking about Marzipan are not developers. They have no fucking clue what they're talking about. <laughs> and that's the problem. They have a lot of blindness to the issues that face developers. And that's my issue with the Marzipan discussion. Not Marzipan itself.
1: And I think if you start to listen to some developers, you, you do have those two camps. And I, I don't think the current Mac developer saying that Marzipan is bad per se, but you also have this crop of iOS developers that say like, you know what? Either we're a big company and we're completely ignoring the Mac because as a big company, the Mac, I you should be the web. Like go on the web, go on the website. That's our Mac UI. There's that. There's another crop of Devs that is right now focusing on ios are whether they are like small businesses or even indie devs they're like one man shops and one woman shops and they need to focus on specific things and it if you look at it like it might not make sense to be on the mac right now like learn app kit rewrite your whole ui make sure that you can like have your data model both on the mac and ios like with the possible benefits of maybe having 10% of a user base on this. Like, I understand the business side of this. But you hear those people saying like, oh, but if I can reuse my iOS code base and just like click a couple of buttons and it works on the Mac, sure, I'll do it. It's like, to me, it's like the investment I might have made on, and it's a bad example, but it might be the same investment I made on the Apple TV, for example.
0: Yeah, but how well did that turn out? (laughs)
1: That's a good point. That is a valid point.
0: That is like the graveyard you have to look at right now to compare like, for game development specifically, not necessarily all application development, but for game developers in particular. Like, if you want the Apple TV, it is a relatively free market right now. You just like, compile your app, and it will probably run fine, and there are not a lot of good games for the Apple TV right now. Like, go ahead, take the market. Nobody's doing it. And like, I think The thing that worries me is if you try to position Marzipan as, like, five minutes and you've got a Mac app, the problem with that is it's only going to work with very basic applications that strictly adhere to what Apple thinks an iOS app should look like when it's designed correctly. In practice, like, a lot of the best applications do not do that because they want to do fancier stuff that the iOS default stuff doesn't allow. So good examples of this is like pretty sure the navigation bar on Overcast is not an actual UI navigation bar. It's like a custom thing that Marco wrote because he's smart and he knows that it's easier to write your own a lot of the time than having to deal with what Apple gives you. Mm,
1: It shows that you've been not working on ios for a while let's put it this way well yeah
0: okay i I have trauma (laughs) marks from ios 3 and stuff but whatever
1: yes 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 yes
0: (laughs) and we all know like marco sometimes likes to complicate his life for no reason but that's (laughs) his choice but okay maybe that was a bad example but i'm like saying like let's say you have custom navigation or here's one example that actually comes up a lot is oh i can't wait for marzipan because ferrite's going to be on the mac right Have you seen Ferrite's UI? What portion of Ferrite's UI would actually be taken by the marzipan machine and actually converted into something that actually makes sense on the Mac? Like, you're still going to have to do a lot of work to actually make the thing work like it should on the Mac. If you force developers to actually do that work, then it's still going to be too much work to actually warrant the potential market that they have on the Mac. And it might be fine for indie developers who are making iOS apps But I think the other, like, the flip side here is, well, a lot of people are looking forward to this. Like, this is going to save us from Electron. We won't have to use shitty web apps on the Mac anymore. Well, sorry, but the companies that are making shitty Electron apps have phone apps that are very limited and probably not very good on the iPhone. And now you're going to get a shitty port of a phone app instead of a shitty port of the fully working website that runs on Windows. Like, You're going to be compromising anyway, and you're probably going to get a worse product in the end if you're going the native route via Marzipan, right? So I don't see very many scenarios where you win from Marzipan as a user, aside from like maybe there's going to be an overcast Mac app, like, like that, that is potentially good, but I don't, I just don't see the advantage for so many things, and I don't see the economics working out in terms of resource management for working on tweaking stuff for the Mac that actually makes sense for the little market that the Mac is. Like the Mac is not relevant for so many people and the applications that people want on the Mac that are on iOS right now are productivity apps and those are the apps that are going to need the most work if they come to the Mac.
1: You know what? And I think you're making an exact and good point here which is, in my opinion, why it could be good. Because by enabling to port those apps on the Mac, you mentioned that I think the target audience of those apps on the Mac should be productivity apps. And I think it will alight more because those come from iOS. We've we've been discussing a lot with the recent, and that's where I'm bringing a bit like the ipad focus usage users. Like iOS needs... M- it's hard to define what iOS needs to be more quote-unquote productive, right? We've seen with the reviews of the current iPad Pros that there's specific stuff that like, desktop users might want, but it feels to me that if you have already productive apps that you want to bring to the Mac, it feels to me that some of the productivity advantage that the Mac might have might force some iOS devices to implement these for the benefit of both platform and both users, which could make you, as a user, more productive and find more creative way to be productive and optimize on the iPad that maybe migrates uh, on um, on the desktop.
0: Well, yeah, yes and no. So I have an actual example from that uh, talk show episode. Uh, Gruber was trying to use the iPad Pro uh, as his sole machine while he was on vacation, and obviously he failed. Uh, but he kept trying to install various text editors on the Mm -hmm. iPad and he kept hitting command F because he's a Mac user. And if you're in a text field, command F brings up the find and replace thing. And like none of them implemented command F, not necessarily because they didn't have search and replace, but there's no assumption that there's a command F global shortcut all the time on iOS. And that just doesn't exist. On an episode of Canvas, shortly before the episode, uh, the show was canceled, uh, Federico Vaticci was asking for applications with feature parity with desktop counterparts for like Office or like big applications like that. And I think like that, that's sort of the blindness I see from the uh, iOS productivity camp is. If you want to design an iOS app correctly, you want all of the functionality in the app to be accessible by touch alone because you can't guarantee the presence of the keyboard. Like I know the iPad Pro is like trying to force the keyboard on everybody, but like forget it exists for a second because you can't guarantee it's always going to be there. I
1: uh, I think even the ironic part about the uh, keyboard which I love, but the ironic part is Apple on one side is saying Touch based laptop are bad. And then you have the iPad Pros with their keyboard. It was like, oh, the keyboard is so nice with the iPad Pro. It's like, then what's the difference with a touch based laptop?
0: Yeah. And let's not even get into the nonsense with the USB C displays and shit. Like, that blows my fucking mind.
1: Uh- <laughs> which, by the way, Again, it is not something new. You've been able to do that since iOS 4 with iPads. Yeah, there have always dongle. been screens.
0: They're just higher definition yes. now. It's like, congratulations, yes, you've discovered a port that's always been there. Uh, so part of having a system that's driven by touch and specifically with fingertips as the input method is that touch targets need to be finger sized at minimum. So the, the amount of stuff that can be crammed into a toolbar is much more limited than what you can have on the desktop. Uh, and the other issue is there's no menu bar on the iPad, right? So the absence of a menu bar as an all purpose junk drawer for less used functionality means that functionality needs to be buried behind many swipes and taps, whereas they're far more accessible either with uh, the menu bar or with keyboard shortcuts on the desktop
1: it's funny that you the uh toolbars icon size because oh, i'm looking at mails right now i have also notes in front of me and if you look at the size of the icon okay maybe touching like at arm's length it's a bit big but to me they kind of feel 40. they don't have 44 by 44 but i'm sure they're 44 width by maybe like 30 eyes and like they so are so close to be like 44 by 44 it's like It feels that they are nearly there already. And this design has been, as I can see right now, is in notes, uh, is in mail, and in mail it has been there for years in the toolbar, like those somewhat big buttons. I'm sure there's also an accessibility, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm sure there's uh, even an accessibility tool that you can email to make these buttons even bigger that in theory could make them 44 by 44 by magic and not by magic of it being touchable but just making them more legible and more like more contrasty with the rest of the ui so it feels that some element already of course if it's a list like in finder of course any rows in the list on finder is not clickable but a lot of quote-unquote modern mac ui provided by Apple has been inspired by iOS and they are providing a lot of big lists, for example. Mail is another good example. It feels to me that we're not that, we might have been like farther away four or five years ago, but it feels that with the design trend that Apple is pushing, we're moving closer to closer to those designs that could adapt even right now to maybe bigger touch targets or smaller touch targets depending on where they run.
0: Right, but I'm not specifically referring to iOS to Mac right now. I'm talking about the opposite direction. If you're going Mac to iOS and, and trying to make an iOS productivity app right now with the same feature set that the Mac app has, like those high productivity apps like Photoshop, like Word, like all of this stuff tends to have a lot more custom UI that is far more dense because they're trying to pack a lot of functionality that just doesn't present well on a touchscreen like that. and the other issue i see with it is like a lot of people are going to suggest gestures gestures are great as a substitute for keyboard shortcuts but they're not the answer because they're undiscoverable and you see they are
1: completely undiscoverable i can tell you working on an app that is made for quote-unquote normal people running their businesses don't rely on gesture gesture should be a shortcut to something they can do tap 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 tap
0: and it's no surprise, like, we've talked in the past about how much I loved iPhoto for iOS when it existed. And that app, one of the huge issues with it was that it was only gesture-based, and it was fucking impossible <laughs> to use if you didn't know how to use it. But once you I knew how to use it, tutorial. it was awesome. It was Yeah, it's awesome
1: tutorial was crazy like full of release animation like well, telling you like
0: the dumbest thing is they had a post postmortem on iPhoto for iOS during a WWDC and if you watch that session like suddenly every decision they made when designing the application made perfect sense to you and you had we were enlightened and you could just like use the iPhoto for iOS like a pro but the problem is like nobody watched it except for me <laughs> so that was a problem um but yeah like that's really the issue that I see is you have iOS people who are pulling and pulling to try and get more feature parity and productivity features into their application without like, while being completely blind to how do I design a UI that can actually accommodate this uh, in any way. Um, there's the tension between like one of the things that the Mac doesn't do and that iOS does do is that iOS is full screen, which, well, uh, Aside from uh, iPad split screen, right? So Mm -hmm. you are much more incentivized as a uh, application developer to put more of your brand design and your brand identity into every pixel of that screen than you would on the Mac where you have to coexist with other windows that have to not look stupid next to each other. Uh, And that means that there is a lot more divergent idea in how UI should work from app to app on iOS than there is on the Mac. And this is good and bad because certain applications, like I won't hide it, EOS, my GIF generation app, was a completely custom UI because I wanted the entirety of the screen to be the GIF because for my particular case, if I wanted to be able to actually be able to edit a GIF on a 3.5-inch iPhone display, I needed the video to take the whole screen. I can't like. shoebox it in the middle of the screen there or there's like two centimeters of usable touch space right um yeah there
1: the limitation of small screens is forcing you to take some design decisions
0: yes but also the fact that ios is convertible to so many different kinds of screens means that sometimes you have to compromise for one over another or try to come up with the frankenstein ui that resizes correctly in every orientation and size class And the Mac doesn't really have that, right? It tries to conform to all of these windows look about the same on screen, except for electron apps, which is mostly based on the presumption that all windows, there was never a good UI framework. So they all gravitated towards web technologies. And now everybody has a free for all window that looks completely different from everybody else. And those are the companies that don't give a shit. And you can tell very easily. It's, but yeah, that's it. Like there's that iOS camp of people who want the productivity stuff in iOS. And then there's the Mac camp, which is looking at iOS apps right now that are deficient in certain ways. Like Gruber saying, I can't command F in a text editor. What happens when Marzipan comes and suddenly every text editor on the Mac doesn't have command F because it's stupid import from iOS. Like that is the worry that I see in Mac users. And I think it's justified because if Apple makes it as easy as possible for people to, like five minutes and you have an, uh, a Mac version of your iOS app, people aren't going to put in the extra effort that they need to to actually make it good on the Mac and everybody suffers then. That.
1: That's where I'm a bit lost on that part of argument. I understand it a 100%. But what we've been seeing in the last five years is... Apple and developers are neglecting the Mac as in general. And there are exceptions. I can name you a few. Like
0: Omnigroup, Not Panic. only
1: them, Panic, 1Password, uh, a Montrealer like uh, Luc Vandal from yep. ScreenVNCs. His app are amazing on the Mac. And there's a lot more uh, timings. That could be another example. I never used it, but just looking at it, it feels like a Mac app. I'm not saying that. There's no more Mac developers. But it feels to me that we've been see- we've seen some neglect from developers in general on the Mac and also Apple. And I feel that if it is easier for Apple to move what they've invested on iOS on the Mac, it is a net benefit for Mac users.
0: But right now, what I'm feeling is that... <laughs> I think we would be better off if a lot more of the Mac stuff could come to iOS than in the opposite direction. Where, where is Acorn for iOS? Where is well, Coda for iOS exists already, so it's a bad example. Where is Transmit <laughs> for iOS? Oh yeah, they can do. Oh shit. Yeah. But you know what I mean. Like
1: we, I know what you mean, and it feels to me, and that's my, I think that's where I say it's my personal, personal opinion and my personal hope is. It feels to me that it feels right now. It is one way ios to mac but that the end goal when it is exposed to developers is that by doing it internally by dogfooding in the one way from ios to mac people realize that oh i need a way to access the menu bar i need to also like if i'm investing in a menu bar maybe there's a reason a good ux reason to have a menu on ios too if i want to be more productive And by maybe exposing it back to iOS, then it makes A, the investment on writing on your iOS code base valuable because it is useful not only for the Mac app, but also for your iOS apps. Maybe it's because the menu opens only in the advanced mode or if you use the pen or whatever. I could see it being worth the investment in that point. Or also like there's rumors that there's, Tab-based UI. I know you're not a big fan of it, but like I oh, didn't Windows, say that. Oh, I'm. I think you've said that in the past to me. I, but I'm uh, not a
0: fan of windowing, but tabs. Like, oh, go ahead.
1: Okay, then, uh, then maybe I mix them both. Then, if it's the windowing, then maybe tabs. I uh, was uh, But all of this to say, there's rumors that maybe one or the other. I don't think both are coming, but one of those concepts that is mostly associated to desktop apps might be coming to iOS to improve designing productivity apps and my hope is by opening this right now right now that's why it is called a fucking sneak peek is right now seems one way is that by opening this channel let's put it this way that it will help flow back ux paradigms into the other one and in theory in theory both will benefit the max side by having more apps more stuff that current Mac user can enjoy. And on iOS, the true hardcore iOS productivity people can then get more tools to be more productive, more UX, like more better ways to be productive on the iPad. And that would be hopefully at, this, at more or less the same cost as it is right now to develop both of them but not being one, being the favorite child, and the other one to be the bastard child. Like both of them will receive love on the same level, but with the same investment. And maybe you know what? Maybe I'm dreaming. But to me, that's the hope I have.
0: Well, okay, so. Hmm.
1: Oh my goodness, I, I feel that you're like mm, loco tonight. <laughs>
0: no, no, not really. I think I'm I'm largely skeptical of marzipan just because I'm skeptical of convertible. St- Strategies in general. Like, convertible laptops, I am against that. I am against convertible, like, cross-platform frameworks. Like, I don't think it's an approach that works. I think you can look at Windows for proof that it doesn't work. It's a disaster on Windows. And even yes, Office for Touch that... was cancelled. I mean, like, you can how You prove the that fuck? anything
1: doesn't work with Windows. That's the issue. Well, like, no, I'm, I'm sure we can also prove that mobile doesn't work because Windows Mobile didn't work.
0: No, okay, that's different. But... <sighs> Uh, but the other thing is that we've seen so much and this is the other thing that i'm worried about is we've seen so many of the issues in ios productivity fixed in big air quotes by just copying the approach of the back right ios was supposed to be simple without a visible file system then ios productivity people start bitching about it suddenly there's a fucking file system and like we're repeating the same mistakes i've talked about this on previous episodes like By just using the same solutions that we have on the Mac right now on iOS, the iOS loses what makes it unique, which is it gets to have a fresh start and we get to reimagine everything. Right now, it seems like we are in such a hurry to get to some goal somewhere in the distance that we are not taking the time to reimagine things. And we are just taking whatever closest solution we have and we are jamming it into iOS and saying, Deal with this this year, and next year we'll figure out some other janky fix to your solution. And we're not really fixing anything. We're just repeating the same mistakes of the Mac. And then at that point, if we have a convertible application framework between Mac and iOS, and we have iOS repeating the same mistakes as the Mac, what makes the Mac different from iOS? Is it just the interaction paradigm? Why don't we have convertible laptops? Why don't we have these Frankenstein machines that are shit like Windows laptops? Like, I don't see a good end game to all of this stuff that doesn't end with the same convertible garbage that is ruining Windows. Like, I think a lot of people who were positive when they saw the Windows 8 UI agreed that it should have stayed a tablet-only operating system and traditional Windows should have stayed traditional Windows and those two things have no business being intermingled together. Now you're seeing those same exact people say oh well now on the mac like we need to fuse these two together because of course apple's going to get it right and microsoft won't because microsoft is stupid and i think like sometimes there are just bad ideas that are bad ideas and we need to stop thinking of them as potentially good ideas because apple is going to do them uh and of course like i i tend to get shafted a lot in these kinds of arguments because like the big screen thing was one of those like i still think like the big screen (laughs) thing is a fucking mistake and like clearly like nobody agrees with me, but I still yes. think like the smaller <laughs> phones are better. Uh, it's frustrating to be like the one that is yelling, like you, oh, all you people are fucking wrong. And then people are like, "No, sorry, I'd rather be wrong." <laughs>
1: yes. Ah, uh, yes. This is
0: why we do the show because I'm angry. Yes.
1: Oh. Yes. 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 Yeah. That's true. Yeah. That's true. But uh, I think all of this is say is. There's a lot promising with Marzipan. There's a lot worrying. And I don't know why. But for a strange reason, it feels refreshing to me.
0: Because something is happening on the Mac
1: instead of nothing. And you know what? That might be why. And that's why I'm pretty sure that's why. (laughs) And you know what? That's why I feel that for I don't know if it's for just all the user or just our clique of users. Seeing something happen on the Mac feels quote-unquote good like the thing that could be its demise right they could <laughs> completely kill the mac let's be honest or maybe save it and and now i feel that a lot of people are like oh my god it is going to kill it and then the other people that are on the ios side are like no it's going to save it and then you're like but you're using ios why do you think it will save it and to me i'm i feel kind of distant by this it's like no there's a but a uh, potential solution and you know what the more and more i think about it the more what well i open as a comparison in the beginning saying that marzipan might be our equivalent of carbon to cocoa of this decade the more i feel that marzipan won't be it but the next thing after will be and marzipan is something right now to prepare us to the next step that is going to be our carbon to cocoa. Which is kind happened. of
0: what the conclusion was to the big discourse over the weekend, which pretty much like, well, it's an argument about whether or not there is that other thing. Like some people are very vocal in saying, no, 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 no. Marzipan as it is right now is the solution. Like, please stick with this path. And then there's other people who are saying, Marzipan is a transitional technology until we get like a proper cross-platform UI kit.
1: And I feel I am in this camp. That will be cross platform UI kit. Yes,
0: but do you think having because like I I, hmm, my personal stance is that UI kit should be as similar as possible between devices, so that you are not like constantly getting your mind fucked with going from platform to platform. If you're a developer that touches every Apple platform, but I do not think that applications should cross compile or be universal in any way. I think you should have. A similar foundation for your applications and there can be some level of code reuse among those things but I think your applications need to be designed per platform anyway and like fuck the cross-platform shit because it's not going to work Uh and are you more in that like very solid like isolated camp or are you more in the let them converge into a single application camp
1: and I think that's where I'm kind of Optimist about, optimistic about all of this is because i want to see apple try cross-platform and cross-platform because right now they have more than one platform like for years the development platform that apple had was the mac now that i have like six ios mac watch os tv os and yes five right then it's more like 20 years ago so you can consider that on the same apple ecosystem you could have a technology that is cross platform and not cross platform in the sense that it's like for different app uh, technological platforms like Windows, Mac, blah blah. No, no, it's like let's define what is the Apple platform and we will try to define what would be the paradigms that are general for an Apple platform, but there's going to be specificities per like physical device, whether you're running on. The Mac, whether you're running, no, not even the Mac, whether you're running on a desktop based computer or laptop based computer, whether the screen is touchable, uh, touched, uh, active or not. Like a scre- uh, uh, I would consider the uh, laptop being like, like a screen with a keyboard. Ignore the fact that it's touchable or not. Maybe it's useful or not. Or tablet is just something that has a touchable screen and define what is this Apple platform. And yes, I would maybe be technologically, technologically curious to see what Apple will do in that mindset. And that's maybe why. And I think that's the main reason why I'm kind of optimistic about all of this is it might not make sense, but it is not something that Apple has done. So why not try it?
0: See, for me, for, for me, it's really the bad timeline that we're on right now. <laughs> <laughs> That's nice yeah uh, I think like I think there's a level of cross-platform stuff that like they need to converge like for example, like input devices like Apple pencil is a pointing device, a trackpad is a pointing device like the there are implementation details to those things, but at, at the core of them, I think that the APIs for those should be fairly similar, and same thing for keyboards if you're writing keyboard shortcuts on the Mac and if you're writing keyboard shortcuts on iOS, the code should be fairly similar because these are like a comment commonality of both things. But I think just like how um, Gruber said, like in the mid nineties, when people chose the Mac, they chose it because of what makes something Mac like. And because there's this disagreement amongst Mac users of what Mac like means. And because there's a disagreement of uh, amongst iOS users, of what iOS like means, there's a lot of issues going around. Like, a lot of people are pulling for the iOS to be more like the Mac a lot, but I would prefer iOS to maintain its iOS-ness more. And I can't necessarily define that, but like there is value in iOS being a simpler operating system that has less functionality because you have just the purest, what you needed, minimalist functionality and deal with it. And for some people that is much more approachable as a computing platform than the Mac is, which has a legacy of many years of stuff. And... The different platforms have different priorities, and if you try to level all of that together into a cross-platform framework, both of the platforms will lose their individuality. They become essentially defined by their input devices, and there's no real point in having separate platforms at that point. You can just merge the OS and have your Mac OS Windows 10 thing, and it'll suck because that's what happens with those kinds of things, but you'll have achieved your goal, I guess. Like, congratulations, you did it. Now everything sucks.
1: (laughs) Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Wow. It's
0: hard to be positive about Marzipan because we as a community have been railing so hard against cross-platform stuff for years because we've been convinced that it doesn't work. And now suddenly when Apple does it, it's okay. I, I don't get this shit. It happens all the time and it's really infuriating. I feel like people aren't actually willing to stick to their values anymore, and they just want to, like, agree with Apple all the time, which sucks.
1: That does sucks, but the, the people sticking to their value part, that's a complete different discussion that I don't want to tackle in this episode, nor in future episodes, let's be honest. Yeah, uh, I know. That could derail even more. Uh but uh, yeah, I think that's more or less what I had to say about the current situation. I, to be honest, again, I'm eager to see what's happening for this. And the I think the main reason why I am is, yes, I understand that my day-to-day work happened on a desktop computer. But my the more and more my personal life, including some of the nerd stuff that I do in my personal life, are mainly happening on the iPad. Like, we've been doing follow-up on follow-up on follow-up about how we're doing this podcast that we love to do so much and that we're trying to move on the iPad because we feel that there's something to be done. Not something to be done, but something to make it happen on the iPad compared to make it in front of the computer. And it feels to me that in the past few years since i've been doing programming professionally is i feel that when i use my ipad it's like it's my personal stuff when i'm in front of the computer where it's my my computer or the work computer it's like it's work stuff
0: yeah well i think the issue we have right now as a community is nobody wants to admit that the mac is better for some stuff and the ipad is better for some stuff and a lot of people are trying to force things on the ipad that or on the mac well yeah or on the mac just because that's where they're comfortable without actually taking into consideration whether or not like it's a good idea
1: yeah the part where i worry about that is i totally agree on that too is all some of my stuff i would i'm happy that i'm doing on the mac uh i would like to maybe see be reinvented otherwise on another computing platform whether it's ios or not but in the end, what worries me the most is Apple's kind of lack of commitment on the Mac, and like I said, is if marzipan is something is a commitment, quote unquote, let's see where it goes, which I might regret later. And that is part of my current opinion. Is right now I want to follow this, knowing a hundred percent that in six months, in two years, we well, I might come back on this. A podcast or whatever yannick and i are doing in the next few years and say remember in episode 104 when i say oh yeah let's see what's going to happen i was totally wrong like there's the reason why the mac is dead now yeah but it's a risk i want to take because right now nothing is happening
0: but isn't that what people want people want a stable platform
1: <laughs> true maybe but right now, I don't feel that I have a stable platform. I feel that I have a declining platform, and that is making well, me that, quite sad. That's also
0: true, but that doesn't mean anything. That more has to do with like Apple not making hardware anymore at all, basically.
1: Not not only that, I think we've been pretty vocal, you and I, about some of the like hmm, like recent quote unquote stability issues yeah. and lack of commitment, even on the OS side. That could be also like the fact that there's lack of commitment on the hardware makes the software team being less committed to that i could see but the fact that there's lack of commitment around that is worrying and i think that's why people feel so strongly about that is like this intruder is even is coming here to destroy even more my my beloved platform and that's why i feel personally that you should keep an open eye then let's say like Don't see it as bad. Like When you have a real reason to see it as bad, be there and say it's really bad. But I think right now we're like being too early critics of everything.
0: Honestly, my bigger concern for the future of the Mac is, and I, I realize this will sound incredibly stupid given how much I have pushed for this to happen, but I'm going to say it anyway. When they switch to ARM, if they use the opportunity of the switch to ARM to tighten down the OS even more and the Mm. unix stuff becomes less accessible you're going to lose a lot of developers
1: and yes uh yes i see
0: unfortunately a lot of these developers like they're not going to want to go to windows (laughs) they're they're probably not going to want to go to linux either they're just going to be like fucked completely over by their platform thing and i guess they're going to have to do like some of the people who just use like a linode thing in a terminal on their ipads or whatever (laughs) like have fun without a development platform developers like i i'm more worried about that than i am about marzipan really because i think like worst case the developers will just reject it like it'll be a bad deal for developers to adopt it for like replacing dumb apps like electron or whatever and people will just say no and it'll be a du- uh it'll be not worth it for productivity apps to adopt it and it'll just like stay there and apple will use it for a couple apps and nobody else will and it'll just stagnate and it'll be wasted time
1: <laughs> a little bit like uh the apple tv is right now is pretty like, much it's, you can develop an app and it's a couple of clicks and maybe a couple of like add a couple of focus element on your uh, ui elements right now and that's it it works and uh voila but nobody's really using it maybe except apple but even there
0: yeah so at least, like, the developers have a say in whether Marzipan ruins the Mac or not, whereas you don't really have a say if Apple says, oh, here's a new MacBook. You can't open the terminal anymore, and you can't install an unsigned terminal process either. Have fun, developers. Yep, yep, yep. Fun things for 2020.
1: Yes, fundings for the next few years of this. Uh, Maybe I'm we should actually hopeful.
0: revisit this after WWDC if they announce anything concrete.
1: You know what? I feel that if they announce anything concrete about it, or when they announce anything concrete, like, we will obviously revisit this. Uh, I don't, and that's why I want kind of wanted to do it now because I feel the closer we'll go to WWDC, the, the, the closer those E3 battle will become, which I feel right now like. More or less six months after the announcement of what it is right now. After a couple of updates where we've seen minimal changes in those Moave apps. People are starting to be worried. And I think that's why those battle of picking some juice again. Because like, oh, nothing is happening in 10.4.2. They didn't modify this. They didn't modify that. Oh my god, it means that... Let's calm down. Usually... Maybe stuff changed internally, and then we don't see it until Apple does a big push. Uh, people, I think, are maybe expecting that, they, like Apple have been doing on iOS, that the point three update, the kind of the last few updates before WDC might see some changes. But what I expected in WDBC, uh, when they announced it in WDC, and then when we got the one and said that more or less those apps didn't change, it felt to me that if there were changes from the feedback that people were giving to Apple publicly, uh, we wouldn't see visible feedback just yet. That we could see maybe in the next dub dub or when uh Apple deems that uh Marzipan should be released to developers. Yeah. So that is it with about Marzipan. I'm sure we'll talk about it even more uh next year when uh in the next few months when Apple announced more stuff at dub dub. But before that, let's uh Close this topic again and then say, We've talked about it. Here's our opinion. And then let's wait for the next move from Apple.
0: Yay.
1: <laughs> let's um, wrap it up.
0: All right. So if you want to see the show notes for this episode, you can go to limitlesspossibility.net slash 104, or you can find all of our episodes at net. The podcast is on Twitter at Limipo underscore podcast. That's L I M I P O underscore podcast. You can find me on Twitter. Please send me booze to process this Marzipan <laughs> depression. I am at Sakurina. That's S-A-K-U-R-I-N-A. And you can find me good you at
1: lukonosh That's L-U-C-C-O-N-O-U-C-H-E. And you can send me PSN stuff so we can maybe play some Call of Duty with Yannick and I. Ooh, that could be something to bring back positivity on this episode.
0: Mm. No? No. No.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. see you in two weeks. I tried, people, I tried.